Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's good to be in your house tonight. Good to be here to worship, to fellowship, to study your word, to sing your praises. Oh, Lord, we know that uh, your son Jesus had a passion for being in your house. Saw it as a house of prayer, a place where people would commune with the living God. Lord, we certainly want that to happen tonight. That each of us in here tonight would have an opportunity to to talk with you, to spend a moment with you, to hear from you. Father, we take just a moment right now. It's uh, maybe what we need to do right now is just confess our sin. Sin is a hindrance to being heard. It's, it's a hindrance to us being able to enjoy your presence. And Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd move in our midst right now and move on our hearts and our minds. And as you so lovingly and gently do, would you point out those places right now in our heart and life where there's something between us and you? Show us where we're grieving you. Lord, I pray across this room you hear our confession. And I pray you'd put in us a desire to repent. to walk faithfully with you. Because, Lord, we really do want it to be a joy when we're in your house. Singing your praises, opening your word with your people. Thank you for letting us be here tonight. Lord, I pray you will minister to each and every one of us right where we are. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what kind of week do you have in front of you? Do you have a big week or a a normal week? Do you have an opportunity or an obligation? Is it going to be a horrible week? Some of us know that right now. We're sitting here now. I, i got a horrible week in front of me. What kind of week do you have coming up? You know, maybe the, the bigger question than what adjective would we use to describe the week we believe we might have in front of us, maybe the bigger question is, will we live that week well? Will we live that week well? You know, that's God's will for you. Hey, he wants for you, He wants for you this week to work. He wants your whole life to work. He wants you to be able to make good and right decisions, to have favor with those that you relate with. God wants for you a life that works. He calls it wisdom. God wants for you wisdom. As a matter of fact, listen to this passage. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to be reading out of Proverbs 3. It's not our, our passage of study tonight. Just a little, a little teaser. Something to kind of get us warmed up. Proverbs chapter 3 says this in verse 13. Happy, happy, here's a translation might say, blessed is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she's more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left, riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, all her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. Blessed, happy is the man 
who finds wisdom. You know what? If you learn that path of life where you make right and good decisions by God's standard, you're going to find that, generally speaking, you're pretty happy. As a matter of fact, you're not only happy, this passage says, along with that comes honor and long life and and wealth. I didn't read all of chapter 3, but if you were to read on in Proverbs 3, you'd also find security and confidence and protection and courage. All of these things come with wisdom. I don't know about you all, but sign me up for every one of them. I mean, I want all of that stuff in my life, every bit of it. How about you? Yeah, man, it's found in wisdom. We're continuing our study tonight in the book of Ephesians, that letter that Paul wrote to the church there in Ephesus. And as we have looked at this letter, or as we've turned the corner on chapter 4, as you walk through chapter 4 and 5, you see a word appearing over and over, and it's the word walk. You and I are to have a certain walk. You and I are to have a certain life. And that life, that walk, is to be motivated by how greatly God loves you. That life is motivated by the work that God has done in your life. That's what we studied in Ephesians 1-3. to and, and now with all of that knowledge of how much God loves us and the great work He has done in our lives, we are to then be motivated, we're encouraged to walk, to live in a certain way. And we've seen that walk defined in a number of ways. We have seen a, a walk in unity, a walk in holiness. We saw a walk in love. We saw a walk in light. And tonight we come to the last way that that word walk is used in chapter 5, verse 15. We see a walk in wisdom. God wants us to live in a way, to walk in a way that has right and good decisions. And a lot of what we're going to see in the rest of Ephesians from 5.15 on is how that wisdom is applied to relationships. As a matter of fact, I'll do a little commercial right here. We're we're continuing our series on Ephesians, but starting next week, there's going to be a little sub-series, a little series inside of Ephesians as we're going to be doing a series on the family because that's a, a lot of what the rest of Ephesians is about. We are actually going to step out of Ephesians next week to kind of get some groundwork on why God gave us the family. What is his purpose for the family? Then we're going to come back into Ephesians and we're going to look at the the role of a husband, the role of a wife. We're going to look at parenting. We're going to look at children. Let me tell you something. Ephesians has some of the most dynamic, some of the most specific, some of the most profound instruction on the home. On the family. We're going to be looking at that for about five weeks uh, as we continue our work through Ephesians here. But today, we're looking at, in general, that walk in wisdom. A life of wisdom. Let's look at that. Look with me in your passage there. Ephesians 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope you've grabbed one there in front of you in the pew. And we'll read that. Keep that open as we work through this passage. Ephesians 5. Beginning in verse 15, it says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms 
hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you want wisdom? This passage actually outlines a very, I think, simple way to arrive at it. It is just simply acknowledging, recognizing two things in your life. The first thing we are to recognize is the significance of each day. Every day counts. Every day is important. Now, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, okay, here it is. Here's the two points to make all of life work. Here's the two points to get wisdom. And the first point is every day counts. Seems kind of small. I thought it would be a bigger idea than that. You know, I began looking around in Scripture and I was kind of amazed at how often this little insight pops up. As a matter of fact, David prays in Psalm 39, verse 4. He says, Lord, reveal to me the end of my life. Let me see the number of my days. And look at that last phrase. Let me see how transitory I am. See, there's that idea again about time, the significance of time and how every day counts. You know, time, it kind of starts off like Christmas morning. You know, when you're a child, Christmas morning is forever. It's forever and ever and ever before it gets here. But that's not how life ends up, does it? No, life ends up more like a gambler, desperately in need of one more chance. I, I, I thought I had... I started off with, no, game over. You know what the Scripture teaches us? Every day counts. Wisdom begins with understanding the importance of today. Paul or David prays, Lord, let me see how few of these things I've got called days. Don't let me waste them. Moses Moses prays in, in Psalm 90, verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days correctly so that we might find wisdom in our hearts. Now, look at that. There it is again. Over and over, we're seeing this idea of wisdom being connected with how we number our days. Well, how, do you, how do you number days? Well, I've got seven days. There's a week in front of me. I've got seven days in front of me. I've got 365 days in a year. Is that how we're to... Number our days. Maybe James from the New Testament can help us with that. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We will do business there and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what your life will be. Man, you know what? Your life is just a... Well, let's look at it here. James says, Your life is a bit of smoke. Let's think about that. This is your life right here. Okay, now. You see it? There it is. There. It's gone. It was very real. It, that's not out. <laughs> I thought I blew it out. I thought, that's kind of getting warm. <laughs> Put that down. <laughs> Did you see it? I mean, it's there. It's real, but it's gone. James says, that's your life right there. 
Yeah, I don't know if you could see it from back there in the back, but you know what smoke is. It's there. It's in your eyes. You can feel it. It's very real. It's not saying your life's not real, but it's there and then it's gone. You know what? The correct numbering of days is not to say I've got seven days or I've got 365 days. Wisdom says I have today and that's all I know I have. All I know I have is today. The scripture, by the way, is not against planning. This scripture is not against preparing. As a matter of fact, a lot of scripture points us to the future. We plan, we prepare, we think about the future. But as I move into today, wisdom says, I do everything I'm going to do today because today is all I know I have. Today is my opportunity. Now, if a day is so important, so significant, so big, then why does God say here the days are what? Evil. Well, gosh, if it's, if it's so important, why do you turn around and call it evil? I think days are evil because they trick us. The days are evil because they tempt us. You see, in an abundance of days, we think we have an abundance of days. Does that make sense? I, I think the average life expectancy in the United States is like 78 years, give or take. That's 28,470 days. And that's a, that's a lot of days. I mean, I really have a lot of days to get this thing called life figured out. I've got a lot of days to do what I need to do in my marriage. I've got a lot of days to be what I need to be as a parent. I've got a lot of days to, you know, go over here and run around the world a little bit. I've got time to run back over here then and get things right with the Lord. I've got a, a lot of days to get serious about that. I've got a lot of days until I don't. I've got a lot of days until I don't. You see, the days, the abundance of them, tempts us to never put urgency anywhere. To never do what I need to do today. I put it off. I've got time. I'll do that right after. No, Paul says, you're not to do that. You're to make the most of every opportunity. You're to be careful. Do you see that? That's how the passage starts off. Be careful. You know, when we say be careful, sometimes we mean be cautious, be, be tentative. You know, I'm up here on the edge. Be careful. Back up. That's dangerous. That's not what be careful here means. Careful here is more like what you might say to a, a math student. Now, be careful. Double check. Be precise. Be accurate. Be sharp. That's how Paul is telling us to approach a single day. Be accurate with this day. Be sharp with this day. Do with this day what is right and good and important. Now, now, what is it we're to be accurate about? Well, the passage says you're to be accurate in understanding the Lord's will. That, that word there for understanding is not the idea that I just kind of, you know, sit here until the light comes on and, oh, now I understand. No, that word for understanding there is almost like the word research. It has the idea of action. It has the idea of, of work. I'm looking. I'm studying. I'm, I'm trying to understand this. And it begins with carrying that idea into every, what, day. I, I want to understand the Lord's will today. i got a decision to make today. What's your will in that, Lord? Man, Lord, I've got some, some financial issues to deal with today. What's your will in that? God, I've got some free time today. What's your will in that, Lord? 
Lord, i got a horrible day in front of me. What is your will in a horrible day? You see, I'm taking that thought into every day, into every situation, and I'm seeking to understand the Lord's will. And we understand that by prayer, by Bible study, and by worship. Hey, you know what? Finding God's will, understanding God's will is not a, a mystical journey of, of le- guidance and leadings and feelings. God's will is right here. God's will is in this book. God's wisdom is in this book. Guess where I need to be? In this book. And you know what? Sometimes what I mean by that, sometimes you know, I, I, I've got a question, a very specific question about an area. And I want to go to Scripture and I want to find out what does God say about that? But I think it's even more than just saying, here's the question, is there an answer? I think it's making God's book every day so that I'm developing His heart and His mind because His heart and mind are in here. I begin to think like He thinks. I begin to understand how He looks at all of these areas of my life so that I walk into a moment. I may not have my Bible with me, but you know what? I understand what God's will is there because I've yielded my mind to His Word. You need to be in God's Word. If you're not in God's Word, guess what? You're going to walk the path of a fool. That doesn't mean necessarily that today will be foolish. That doesn't necessarily mean that today won't work. But life will not work. We need to be in God's Word. Now, this is pretty big, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Every day counts. I'm finding God's will. This sounds so big, so ominous. I, I just wanted to watch the football game and take a nap. Golly, this, I mean, this is so huge. How do I not mess this up? First, you recognize the significance of a single day. And that ought to motivate you to recognize who's in control. You know what? If I'm going to make the most out of every opportunity, if I'm going to make this day count, if I'm going to understand the Lord's will, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit has a number of ministries in our lives. The primary part of the Trinity right now that is at work on this planet is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has four very specific works in your life. Baptizing, indwelling, sealing, and filling. Those first three, baptism and dwelling and sealing, all happen at the point of your salvation. That moment you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, all three of those things happen. There are some traditions in Christianity, there are some faiths, especially in that area of baptism, that believe that happens as a second act. That happens later when we grow in our commitment, when we grow in lordship. I don't believe you can go to a single passage of Scripture and back that idea up. If you're a believer, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that word simply means that the Holy Spirit does a work, does a ministry that identifies us as belonging to Christ. This ring identifies me as belonging to marriage. It identifies me as belonging to a person. Baptism in this context means that that the Holy Spirit marks us as belonging to Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us. That means He comes and lives, takes up residence inside of us permanently, and then He seals us. We've looked at that word in the course of our study of Ephesians. That means He guarantees, He locks us in our salvation. He locks us in that forgiveness and heaven as our home. There's nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to make any of these things happen. Nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to search out these things. They've already happened as a believer when you 
place your faith in Christ. Now, filling is different, as we just read. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you see here, this passage is really not about drinking, but drinking becomes an illustration. The passage says, don't get drunk with wine because that leads to reckless actions. You know, what's interesting about that word reckless. Your translation may say that, that getting drunk with wine leads to dissipation or leads to debauchery. That word actual right there means, in, literally in the Greek language, means riotous or, listen to this, wasteful. Isn't that an interesting word in light of what we just saw in verses 15 to 17? God says, listen, don't wastefully give control of this day to alcohol but rather wisely give control of this day to the Holy Spirit. That's what filling means. Filling means to be controlled. You know what? When you're filled up with alcohol, guess what it does? It controls you. It controls how you walk, how you talk, how you think, how you act. Everything you do and are is controlled by alcohol at that moment. Well, that's a waste. And guess what? I don't have days to waste. So what I'm going to wisely do is yield over control to the Holy Spirit so that He controls how I walk, how I talk, how I think, and how I act. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit has that control, I'm going to make the most of every day. I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to have a heart and a mind for understanding what the Lord's will is. Now, baptizing and dwelling and and sealing, that all happened. That was a one-time act. How often does filling happen? Well, the, the, the verb tense there could best be translated, keep on being filled or continually be filled. In other words, this is kind of an issue that has to go on all the time in our lives. I can't imagine that on a minimum, we don't want to at least once a day say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, take control. I, I, I want to start every day that way. But then as I go throughout a day, perhaps once, maybe twice, probably not more for most of y'all, we might sin. Now, when I sin, when you sin, I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit was not in control at that moment. What did I do? Rainy Hahn ran a little coup on the Holy Spirit, seized the throne, and then sinned. Well, if I've got control back, guess what I need to do? I need to yield it back over to him. I always liked, I think I've said this before, Bill Bright had kind of a simple illustration of thinking about this in terms of spiritual breathing. You know, I, I exhale, I confess my sin. You know, I realized, oh, gosh, I just lied. Oh, gosh, I just said something I should have. I just thought something I shouldn't have. I, I just responded to that person in an ugly way. As I become aware that I've sinned, I confess that. God, I confess that as sin. Would you help me repent? Would you help me turn from it? I receive His forgiveness. I've exhaled that. Now I inhale. I, I, I yield back control to the Holy Spirit. He's now all over and in control of this body. Now, when you explain it that way, it makes it kind of say, now, wait a minute. Now, what's the difference between filling and indwelling? I mean, if he's living in me, if he's taken up that permanent residence, what's the difference between indwelling and filling? Here's a way to think about it. Indwelling is how much you have of the Holy Spirit. And you have 100% of the Holy Spirit. That's his work. That's his ministry. Filling is how much the Holy Spirit has of you. And don't we want the Holy Spirit to have 100% of us? We have to yield that over to Him every moment we wake up, every morning we wake up. We want to yield that over to Him any time that we become aware of sin in our lives. 
Now, you might ask, well, okay, now, is there, is there a way I can know for sure that the Holy Spirit's in control of my life? I mean, I, I didn't sin in the last hour, I think, I hope. But does that mean He was in control? Well, the Scripture here gives us three signs. And the way this is written, I don't think you can say if you've got one of the three or two of the three, you're in pretty good shape. No, all three things need to be taking place in my life. And that's a sign the Holy Spirit is in control. The first sign we see in verse 19, you are going to sing. That's right. When the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, you are going to naturally begin to sing to praise. You're going to be singing when you're by yourself. You're going to look forward to being with God's people and singing. You're going to find yourself talking about how wonderful God is and and proclaiming how great He is. You're going to talk about that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to praise the Son of God. And so when the Holy Spirit gets in control of these lips and the Holy Spirit gets in control of this tongue, guess what He's going to do with it? He's going to sing praises to Jesus. I, I like the quote Chuck Swindoll said one time. He said, The spirit filled saint, Scott, is a song filled saint. You agree with that? The spirit filled saint is a song filled saint. You say, Well, you know, that's great. I, that's just not me. I'm not much of, I'm not into singing. And, yeah, well, that's okay. We're not talking about your personality. We're talking about the personality of the Holy Spirit living out through you. Now, I'm going to say something ugly here. I'm, I'm stepping on some toes, okay? If you can come in here and worship like this. Let me tell you something. It's not the Holy Spirit that's in charge right there. That's never what the Holy Spirit would do toward the Son of God. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to praise. Can't help it. It just takes over and the song comes out. The praise comes out. You see the second thing there in verse 20. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is going to be the attitude, the spirit of our life. Now, folks, you can look around this world. There's a lot to not be thankful for. We've talked about this. Boy, when the Bible says to be thankful in everything, when it says here that if we're controlled by the Spirit, we're thankful. We're not saying I'm thankful for every little event. I'm thankful for every situation. No, I'm not thankful that that thing happened to me or that I'm going through this. What I'm thankful for that is in that thing, in that situation, God is good. In that situation, God is in control. In that situation, God is working. That's what we're thankful for. And that's why the Scripture says over and over and over and over, stop your whining and complaining. Old and New Testament, God hates that. Every moment of whining is saying, this thing's out of control, meaning, God, you're out of control. Let me tell you something. If you find yourself... I'm not saying we can't all hit a moment where it's just... No! We can all have a moment like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if the nature, your personality, you lend yourself over here to whining and complaining. You're drawn to people where you can whine and complain. That is a surefire sign the Holy Spirit has no control in your life. Because when He's in control, there's a gratitude attitude. There's a thankfulness about us. And then the third thing is submission. Oh my gosh, there it is. The big, bad, ugly word. Submission. That's a horrible word in the United States. Submission. Doesn't that mean that somebody's over me? Doesn't that mean that somebody else can tell me what to do? They're always right and I'm always wrong? I hate that word. Why, why, would, why would that be a word? Why would that describe God being in control of my life? Well, let's think about that. Let's go back to this personality issue for a moment. 
You know, if, if I were to think about one verse that describes Jesus, and I don't think you have to think of one verse that describes Jesus, but if I were, I think one that would qualify for that would be Mark 10:45, when Jesus said, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give." His life as a ransom for many. The personality of God is to give. The personality of God is to serve. Even to the point that I yield what my right is in this moment. To yield what my needs might be in this moment to serve the other. So when the Holy Spirit gets control of us, We're going to find ourselves yielding what my rights might be. We're going to find ourselves yielding, hey, I've got needs too, and saying, how can I serve their needs? How can I serve the needs of this moment? So, praising, giving thanks, submission, these are all signs that God, that the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives and that we are well on our way to His controlling this day. And that means I'm on my way to a life that works. And I've got today. This isn't something we start tomorrow. I've got today to figure this out. Three weeks ago, three weeks ago exactly, I was driving home from worship service on Saturday night. And uh, I got a call from my parents to let me know that, that one of my closest friends growing up had just died. Randy Pichotta. Died in a in a freak boating accident. And I mean freak in every sense of the word. I had, I had his death explained to me a number of times and I never understood how he died. And you know, I've dealt with death enough in my profession to know that, you know, when you add doubt, when you add question marks to death, it makes it a lot harder to grieve when, when you can't figure something out about that death. But you know, it does make you think... What difference does it make? If I understand why he died, he's dead. If I don't understand why he died, he's still dead. Either way, he's gone. And as my parents told me that, there's two things that came to my mind immediately. One, I was so grateful Randy prayed to receive Christ and became a follower of Jesus. Because he just did that four years ago. He was not a Christ follower all of his life. Four years ago, he made that decision, became a very faithful and effective follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, when you do die, when your smoke dissipates and it's gone, that's all that really counts anymore. What did they do with Jesus? The second thing I thought, how untimely. I I know Randy's parents about as well as I know Randy because they fed me all the time. You know, Fred and Sharon aren't supposed to bury Randy. That's, that's out of order. And, and for that matter, we can swing to the other side. Randy's got an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old son. They're not supposed to bury their father. Not, not at that age, not at that size. That's untimely. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Why do we say that? To say that something is untimely means that it's out of the time that is right. A time that is right means there is a time that is right and there's a time that's wrong. The time that is right is what I'm owed. I'm owed a certain amount of time. There's a certain thing that is right in my life. The Scripture never promises us that anywhere. As a matter of fact, the Scripture goes quite out of its way, as we've seen today, to warn us about the opposite of that. The Scripture never says you will have enough time to do what you need to do in your marriage. 
The Scripture never says you will have enough time to be the parent you're to be with these children God has given you. The Scripture never says you will have enough time to get where you belong with the Lord. It never promises anything like that at all. All it says is, you've got today. You know, as we conclude this passage, I really can't apply it for you. I don't know where anybody in here is on that. Maybe the application is this, is that that we pray, Holy Spirit, where am I putting things off? Where have I been tricked into believing? I I can put that off. I can take care of that later. Where am I giving into that? Holy Spirit, what do I need to act on with this one day, the only day I know for sure that I have? And however the Holy Spirit answers that question, tomorrow's not God's will. Today. Today. Today is God's will. Because nothing untimely is going to happen tomorrow. Only what God has warned is going to happen tomorrow. You know, as we conclude our service here, I would like to draw two applications because I believe there's somebody in this room right now that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know that you're a child of God. You don't know that you're saved, that you'd go to heaven. The Bible actually says, there's a verse that says, today, today is the day of salvation. If that's you, if you're hearing this, if you're understanding that, you can only understand that because the Holy Spirit's letting you understand it. That means God is calling you today to come to Him. And in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, I want you to come forward. You say, why do I come forward? Do you have to come forward to get saved? No, you don't. But you know what? Everybody Jesus called, He called publicly. There's no secret society of believers. This is never a little private issue. No, we're a family. We're public. We're proud that we're coming to Christ. Well, I didn't plan on that. I've got somewhere to be at 6.50. Today. Today is the day of salvation. As we sing, if you're hearing and understanding, it's because the Holy Spirit's calling you. Don't say no. Maybe you're in here tonight and you've been visiting our church for a while. Maybe you even tell people, yeah, Colonial Heights Baptist, that's, that's my church. But you've never become a member of this church. You've never made it formal. You've never said, I belong. You're keeping it what? Kind of secret, kind of loose. That's not God's will. Look at all we've studied in Ephesians about the family of God. If God has made this your home, come forward today. And let it be known to God. Let it be known to His family. I belong right here. As we stand and as we sing, is Jesus calling you into a relationship with Himself? Is He calling you into the life of this church? You say yes today. Today is God's will for you.